Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. We are live stoppage time. It is a Wednesday. Got a lot to talk about. A loss in Colorado, a maybe first meeting in a new rivalry, maybe just a first meeting. We'll find out. We'll try to figure this out as we go today. We've got some guests stopping by as well in the second half of the show. But Mike, let's start Colorado and a disappointing loss. Definitely disappointing on the scoreline. I think Gonzalo Pineda afterwards made it clear that the whole performance, everything about it was not disappointing. There were some building blocks for him going forward. And I think he's right. Uh, yeah, I agree. You know, it. look, as I said on the post-match show Saturday, there's only so many ways he can polish 3-0. That, that's an ugly scoreline, right? But I don't feel like it was a just scoreline either. I'm not saying Colorado didn't deserve to win. They did. But I thought Atlanta United played well enough over most of the match to deserve a possible result. And that's that's one thing that I keep getting stuck on when it comes to this match. Forget for a second that your starting holding midfielder was held out at the very last minute. Forget for the uh, just a moment that two of your three designated players were out of this match. Forget for a minute that you're playing on a really off pitch. Uh, that made it difficult for Atlanta United to accomplish their objectives. Forget all that for a minute. And just look at the statistics and look at the fact that the match came down really to eight moments. Eight moments, all right? Uh, Tyler Wolf's shot early, which was blocked and saved by William Yarborough. Kick save. Um, Joseph Martinez tripping over the ball at the end of the first half. Uh, when he had a glorious scoring opportunity to equalize. Um, George Campbell getting a, a header right on that was parried over the crossbar by Yarborough. Joseph, late in the game, shot at fairly close range, tipped wide of the back post by Yarborough. Those were Atlanta United's four moments. They didn't score on any of them. Colorado had four moments. Uh, you know, the, the header that came across the face of Goldman, back in, headed in, 
score. Um, you know, their second goal, again, a moment that Atlanta United didn't handle all that great. Colorado converted 2-0. Uh, Atlanta United really bringing everyone up and, and pushing everyone forward, and Shinichiki gets in behind. It's a third goal. And then Colorado did have another moment in the first half where the play kind of recycled in front of the net that they didn't convert. So it came down to eight moments. Colorado converted on three. Atlanta United converted on zero. It happens sometimes. It's soccer. Um, it is what it is. Now let's add on everything else that we talked about. You're without two of your designated players. You're playing on an off pitch. You have to scramble because your plan for a starting holding midfielder got thrown out the door 24 hours before the match. A lot of things that you can't control. Uh, and it, it ends up being a 3-0 defeat to a team that lost only once at home last year. I'm not worried. And I don't think you should be either. Um, hopefully it doesn't become a trend. But I think Atlanta United still has a really good opportunity in their first four matches in the month of February and March to earn nine of a possible 12 points. You do that, you take care of business at home, and you get a couple results here and there on the road, and you're going to be right there at the end of the year. I think you got to separate this thing into thirds for a second, and maybe this is just a little bit of a re-education on how we, we look at things because you can get really caught up in the results business, which ultimately is the business that coaches and players are in. You have to win games. You have to get results even when you don't play well. You have to get results. When you play well, you got to get results. That is a short-term thing. There is the longer term of this is game two of a full season that will include the Open Cup that you should not be at your best right now. You can't be at your best right now if you don't have everybody. It's not an excuse. It's a fact. Um, so in this game, the result is bad. Uh, it's not about polishing a 3-0 loss. It's, it's not about that. You have to be able to separate the result from the performance. They're not always the same. There were people who I thought overstated the performance from game one in a 3-1 win when it was a good performance. But did it make Atlanta United an MLS Cup favorite right then? No, it didn't. There, there were some holes in the performance. It was good. This was actually a pretty good performance when you get into the figures and you get into the production off the scoreboard. The game's defined by the scoreboard. The result is defined by the scoreboard. The performance is not always defined by the scoreboard. And you can drive yourself crazy if you think that it is. Because then you start to fall for fallacies at times. You can win playing bad soccer. You can win with a mm -hmm. bad performance. Mm -hmm. You're probably not going to win a lot that way. But you can. You can fool yourself into that was a good performance because we won. No, it wasn't. It was a win. You can also fool yourself the other way. And I've seen a lot of that this week, that this is a there's a huge problem and there's all these problems and there's all these things that have to get fixed. No, not because of the scoreline. The performance was not bad. You go back into it. You had four players who created two chances apiece. Mm -hmm. You created more chances in Colorado. It wasn't one player creating chances. You had eight players who created chances in this game. That's something you beg for, where it's not one person that the opposition has to shut down. It's Andrew Gutman. It's Brooks Lennon. It's Mateus Osechu. It's Tyler Wolf, all with two, two chances created in this one. George Campbell created a big chance for Tyler Wolf in the first 10 minutes. 
as a six without really much preparation to do that. It's a good performance. It's a bad result. Why is it a result? You nailed it. It's because you don't convert on your chances, and Colorado does. Period. That's what it comes down to. That's the result. The performance is something you can build on. The work that was put in on the day is something you can build on. They played through a bad field. They still connected their passes. Maybe took a second longer for an extra touch to control. Things like that did affect it. The Osvaldo Alonso situation absolutely affected it. You've got a guy who's come in and he's a, a, a team favorite straight away, a favorite in the locker room. He's not able to participate unexpectedly. That's going to throw you for a loop a little bit. It's going to throw you for a loop when adversity hits, when you're down 2-0 and you're late in the game and you're frustrated because of the situation you're in. That's where it's going to hit you. The players worked hard. They didn't get the goals to show for their work. Over time, when you create 12 chances like they did here and you have eight players creating chances, you're going to win more often than you're not. That's what has to be understood in this. So it's game two. In the short term, you've got to convert your chances in game three to get a win, period. That's how it goes. Charlotte's probably not going to have a lot of chances, but if they convert on theirs and you don't convert on yours, you're not going to be happy at the end of that, that 90 minutes, but you are building. And it sounds like, Mike, this week, there could be some different players available this weekend that we did not expect early on to add to what is already a pretty good base of performances in the first 180 minutes. Yeah. Uh, and one other note be- before we get into who could be back, I do kind of like the fact that we've seen Atlanta United play in two different ways when it comes to possession, you know, where they kind of dominated possession against Colorado. They didn't mm-hmm. dominate as much of the possession against Sporting Kansas City. I don't think that was-, was by choice, though. But, uh, of course. Yeah. But – I still think there were positive things that you could take out of both matches when you had to play in two different ways. 100%. 100%. Which I think, I I know that doesn't feel maybe like the biggest positive in the world, but I think it is a positive. No, and Um, please, I really hope people aren't trying to draw a correlation like, oh, you had less than 50% of the possession and you won, and you had more than 50% and you lost. See? No, that doesn't tell you anything. It's two 90-minute games that are separate and two very different opponents. Colorado doesn't really care if they have the ball. They can play with it, but they're also fine and coming into this one. We knew they were going to shore up the defense after giving up three week one against Kansas City, who always wants the ball. Right. Always. So you had very different opponents. Set that right. Too. I, I think it, it's more, um, I'm trying to think of another way to maybe make a comparison. If you're a college football team, like I think I see Domer on the Twitch pitch. Mm-hmm. If, if you're Domer and you're Auburn, and you've got a game against Alabama coming up. It might be good to play a game against a team like Maryland, which throws the ball 70 times a game. Uh, and you might have to do things a little bit differently offensively to try to keep the ball. And then the next week, play a team like Army, where possessions are going to be very much at a premium. And you have to deal with a team that runs the ball a lot. So when you play Alabama, you're prepared for anything. Sure. Uh I know that's kind of a weird analogy. No, no. But... I think if we've seen anything under Gonzalo Pineda to compare him to to previous managers here in Atlanta, and and I think at times I think we're all we all do that too much. But in this case, it's valid. Um, Tata Martino had more of one way of playing. Frank DeBoer had more of one way of playing. Gabriel Heinze definitely had one way he wanted to play. Gonzalo Pineda 
has a way he wants to play. They've worked on it a lot in preseason. You're starting to see some of those characteristics come out. I think the, the biggest one is how aggressive they try to win the ball back. But he's not as, I think, rigid in how his team plays. If it's three in the back, if it's four, if you know, you've know you got inverted wingers, if you don't, if you move the pieces around during the game, if it rotates into a line of five versus a four-man back line, it's a lot more fluid. I think the concepts of the way that they play are not as rigid mm-hmm. as it's mm-hmm. been maybe with, with previous leadership. So you can win in different ways depending right. on the match and the opponent. That I think that was the point I was trying to yeah. make. And as always... You clean it up for me so beautifully. But uh, but yeah, as far as who could be back, and and again, I, I would just say don't read a ton into who was training today and who wasn't because you're dealing with people coming back into the country at different times. So And you're still dealing with some people who are at different stages of their injuries than others. So don't read a whole lot into it. But Darren Eels did tell uh, Dukes and Bell yesterday that um, they're thinking Almada is going to be in the country this week. And if so, he could be available for Charlotte on Sunday. Didn't say definitely and will, but said they think and could. So that's on the table now. It's not like it it was on the table for the first two weeks of the season. Now it's on the table. Osvaldo Alonso, who I think could be vital, because I'm not 100% sure, even though Santi Sosa returned to training today, I don't know if Santi's uh, not even its fit yet. No, no way he could be. I don't see how he could be in. And you know that George Campbell's going to have to play center back because Miles got red carded on Saturday. So Osvaldo Alonso has to clear some cardiac screens. Did not train today. So I understand that was expected. Mm-hmm. Um, but Darren said they are cautiously optimistic that he is okay. And they are optimistic that he should be able to play on Sunday. That's enormous. That might be the biggest story of all before we get to anything else. Because you're going to need Osvaldo Alonso here, or else you're going to have to get really, really creative. Because, again, I, I would think if given your druthers, you're probably going to want to play George Campbell at center back over Alex DeJohn. You well, could play DeJohn, though. Let's play that out for a second. Um, because you do have some different solutions. Uh, let, let's say Alonso's not available. Let's say Sosa's only available as a sub, which I would assume is the realistic expectation. At for Santiago best. Sosa. Yeah, yeah, at, at best. best. So George Campbell's playing. The question is, is he a center back or is he a six? Um, let's talk about what we know coming into this game. You're, you're going, you, you should, you should have more of the possession. You should have more of the ball. Can you do what we saw last year um, at different points of the season? We saw a Marseille play as the six. We saw Mateus Hosechu play as the six a little bit later in the season and actually play it pretty well in a game where they had a lot of the ball you can get away with less of a defensive six if you're going to dominate possession. If you don't dominate possession, that gets trickier. You know, we we, we talk about Barcelona, for example, as a comparison here. And we know Gonzalo Pineda um, has has always admired Pep Guardiola and, and how his teams play. Well, go back to the, you know, Sergio Busquets, as we still see at Barcelona now, but Busquets and even Guardiola in his day, not, the best defenders in that role as a six. How did you make it work? You had the ball. You didn't ask mm-hmm. them to defend a ton. They're going to have to read the game if it so sets you. And this was something that I remember talking to him and Gonzalo about last year ahead of that match. You know, he said 
Mateos did. Like, look, I know I, I got to sit. I got to play the role. I can't really go forward too much. I got to sit and protect my back line. I got to play fast. I got to distribute. Gonzalo talked about having the conversation with him about his positioning. That's the biggest difference. If you dominate possession, you can make that work because you're not going to be stuck in 1v1 defensive battles. Against Colorado, you did expect to dominate possession, but they do something really different than Charlotte does. Colorado was completely fine playing long, looking for a knockdown, looking for a second ball. You'd rather have Campbell, who wins those second balls really well, can win the first ball too, dealing with that versus a Hosechu in that case. Against Charlotte, they're going to try to play. They're going to try to build out of the back. They're going to try to keep the ball. So maybe you can make it work if you make the decision because it could come down. Let's say no Alonso. Let's say no Sosa. I really have it down to Alex DeJohn or Mateus Hosechu playing the mm-hmm. other role. Mm-hmm. I think what you could see, especially with that news yesterday that Marcelino Moreno could be ready to start. Moreno could play where Wolf has or on the right, depending where you could put him on either wing. Wolf can come in as an eight, which we've seen both games so far as substitute in substitution patterns and stuff. Wolf comes inside. It's Wolf. It's Sadich. It's Hosechi sitting deeper and it's Campbell on the back line. I could easily see that kind of a setup. Okay. Well, and then, as you mentioned, Moreno, Darren said uh, they're optimistic he might be ready to go 90 on Sunday. So that is excellent news. Abara and Sosa obviously back in the country with their green card. Sosa trained today. Abara did not. I want to clarify again because I think there's been a little bit of misunderstanding. I saw a Reddit thread that Atlanta United was taking a gamble having these players go earn their green cards and visas during the season. No, uh, in Abara and Sosa's case, they weren't yet fit to play. Right. So go get the green card done while you can't play. Remember, right. Abara got hit at the end of the Chivas preseason match. He's still coming off an injury from that. So um, I get the sense that Abara is probably a little further behind right now than um, uh, Sosa. And then Jake Mulraney returned to training today, which is something Darren didn't even mention yesterday, but that's excellent news as well. Yeah. So you're really getting the band back together. Full credit to guys like Tyler Wolf and Amar Sadich, um, who have been, and George Campbell, really, who have been thrown into having to do a lot at the beginning of the season. And they've done a remarkable job. And I think in some cases, Wolf's especially, uh, he's given the technical staff something that they're going to have to think about now. Right. Uh, how do they keep how do they keep him in the mix? Because right. he's helping. Caleb Wiley's another example of that, too. I don't want to overlook him at all. And I think Caleb Wiley's role might be pretty well-defined at the moment as someone who's going to be called upon a lot as a substitute. Um, You know, Ronald Hernandez, I I think, is someone who you can't really take out of the lineup right now, even though Brooks Lennon is back healthy. So a lot of people have had to do a lot of things and have done, for the most part, a really nice job, which is going to create some challenges for the technical staff going forward as to how to balance the playing time. But this is good news because when you're going into a road match with two of your three designated players out, probably two or three other of your first choice starters unavailable and your second choice holding midfielder being knocked out at at quite the last minute, it doesn't necessarily set up for something easy. And, uh, Atlanta United had to deal with the challenges on Saturday. Hopefully it will be less challenging for them going forward as they get more players back. 
feel like if Atlanta plays like they did in Colorado, you're going to convert on your chances more often than not. You know, when, when we talk to Gonzalo, he'll always talk about the chances being created. First, are there enough chances being created? In this case, I think there was. When you get to 12, that's a good number. The quality can always improve. You want all 12 to be big chances. It's not realistic. You know, mm-hmm. you're looking at two to four big chances per game if you're a, a productive team. Um, Atlanta created two. They didn't convert on either one. Colorado created three. They converted on them. That's how sometimes these things will go. But it's it's like, you know, it's like playing the lottery, like on a, on a scratch off. You buy more tickets, you're probably going to win more. Your odds get better. You create more chances, you're probably going to score more. You know, you create more chances, you're probably going to create more bigger chances. You've got to deal with that. Let's let's talk about a couple other things from this really quick before we uh, get into Charlotte a bit. The Miles Robinson red card, bad decision. I was surprised by it. I didn't expect it. Um, game's done at that point. It does put you behind the eight ball a little bit this week because of the situation with injuries. Sounds like maybe it'll be a little better than we thought it would be Saturday night, but bad decision in my mind because it wasn't necessary. It, not even the situation in the game, but the players going towards the sideline at midfield miles can recover there. He can drop off and not let Diego Rubio do what Diego Rubio does. He draws cards. He draws fouls. He's really good at it. He had an amazing day beyond that uh, on Saturday, but can't get caught there. That's one that you got to learn from Um, in general, defensively wasn't bad. I mean, you look at the goals you gave up. The first one is switching the point of attack on a deep cross. I think it was intentional, actually. I think it's something that that Colorado does from time to time. Instead of trying to play across into the six, they'll play it all the way across to then hit the second ball back. I was a little harsh on Alan Franco on the day, seeing the replay. I thought he was, you know, maybe a little further away from Rubio. He was within arm's length. He had, they, they had arm contact. Rubio, I think, got the leverage, which Franco can't allow him to get. And Franco, I think because of that, wasn't able to get up to win the header. Rubio played it really well. But Franco was in a better spot than I thought he was on Saturday as I watched that one back. The second goal is a quick turnover and a little bit of pinball with Sadich and Gutman. It bounces to Rubio. And what a ball from Diego Rubio to the back post to John Lewis. What a finish from Lewis first time. What a ball. The turnover is in a bad spot because it's on the edge of the attacking third, but it's kind of a fluky turnover and you get punished. That's just, if you're going to have the ball, it's going to happen from time to time. Third goal. I wash it away. You're at 10 at that point. You're pushing everybody forward, whatever. When you look at those goals and you look at what Colorado created, are there things in there that worry you about this team going forward? Not too much for me. No, no. I mean, actually, I think the most worrisome goal that Atlanta United has conceded this year was against SKC. Yes. To be totally honest with you. Set that piece, was, and that's been an issue. Exactly. It, it, right. It was a clear set piece breakdown, and that has not been unusual for yeah. Atlanta United, really, in their existence, but especially in the last couple of years. That's the most alarming goal they've conceded this year. Um Alan Franco, I think, didn't play the first goal in Colorado perfectly. Um, I think I'm kind of in your boat, Jason, after seeing it again. Maybe it wasn't quite as bad as I thought. 
Yeah, you it's, know, it's well done by Rubio. I mean, yeah. you want your your defender to get up and win that. Um, I think Rubio just beat him in that moment. It wasn't an egregious mistake. Right. Um, second goal again, you know, you got beat and you got beat to a spot, but I don't think there was like a ton of ball watching or anything no, that happened no. there. I mean, honestly, that part of it, I'm not even worried about the second goal. It's the turnover that's the yeah. most troubling issue. But that happens of where it happens. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah happen. it, but it happens. They hit, um, they hit you. They punished you for that turnover about as fast and as perfectly as you possibly can. Yeah. Full credit. And then the third goal, it, look, you're pushing everyone forward. They get in behind, you know, yeah. it, it's a desperation moment. Yeah. So that, I mean, if we're talking about anything that's worried me, honestly, I, I'm a little more worried about some of the things that happened against Kansas city when he won three, one, then, uh, what happened against Colorado. I mean, if there was one thing in the Colorado match that does worry me, we've talked about it a couple times. I thought they maybe got just a tad bit unnecessarily anxious after conceding. Um, I, because I thought Atlanta United had control of the match and had plenty of time to recover and to stick to their plan. And I thought they got a little bit jittery and came very, very close to maybe conceding a second time in the first half. Um, yeah. And then you really should have equalized right before halftime. And again, if you want to talk about things that maybe concern me a little from Saturday, you could have been a little more clinical in the final third, just a bit. For sure. Uh, For sure. But again, that's soccer. It happens. Yeah. It's a road match in conditions against a team that was 9-1-7 and at home last year and was the number one seed in the West. I'm not alarmed. If you have a game like that, in Cincinnati, in D.C., with a full first-choice roster, I'm concerned. Not after Saturday. No way. It's weird. In a 3-0 loss, I'm, I'm more concerned. I'm not as concerned about the defense. Um, I'm not really concerned with the chance creation because I think it was good. It, it, where I'm concerned is the conversion, um, which is something that usually – cleans itself up you expect joseph to put that opportunity at the end of the first half on goal at least and have a shot out of it i uh, don't think you'll have many of those like we saw in colorado um the other three really big chances are saves from william yarbrough good saves mm -hmm. too so mm -hmm. it's not like you you didn't put it on frame you didn't test the goalkeeper so it's one of those days that'll frustrate you but it shouldn't upset you if that makes sense um it's early. I know how this stuff goes, but I'm I'm in a pretty good spot with where they are considering what they're missing and where they can be at the end of this first four-game stretch. You got two home games. You got to win these home games. We'll get into how that can happen. Uh, the green room is full. And I know it's a little bit early, but I'm going to go ahead and, and get this started so we can get into our opponent, our visitors on Saturday. We get to kick off a new segment with our old friends, Jess and Will. What's up? What's old up, guys? Friends. Old friends, current friends other than on the weekend, right? Current we can friends. be friends after the game again, but you know. <laughs> Let me tell you what kind of friends you are. You guys got a special effect to introduce you into the show. That's you pretty cool. Fact, you are, in fact, the first post-pandemic guest on Stoppage Time. Wow. Oh, 
That's right. That's, that's crazy. Yeah. So look, urgent question to begin our conversation, because when we were on the crown corner this morning, Will called Sunday's match, the I-85 Derby. And I, it, that's just not flying with me. I'm not feeling it. So I was really thinking about this today, like, because in a way, Charlotte and Atlanta kind of compete in a lot of different areas, important areas. For example, Chick-fil-A against Bojangles. Oof. Uh, Oof. Against Pepsi. Delta yeah. against American. Um, Waffle House against Waffle King. That's no problem. <laughs> or, okay, you're right, Jason. Or Waffle House against Huddle House. That's still no problem. Come on. Oh, I don't know about that. Uh, I, know, I know about that. Huddle, it, oh. I, I will stand for some Bohanglis, man. I'm, I, I, am not, <laughs> I, I am not about to sit here and let any slander against Bojangles go no, 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 no slander I'm, against Bojangles second no. and no slander against Huddle House. It's just not Waffle House. Waffle House is better. The oh, point is, and Jess, I want your opinion on this. We've got to figure out a better name for this before Sunday because I-85 Darby is just too obvious to me. It's a tough one. I'm just going to sit back and watch the <laughs> fans create a rivalry out of it first and foremost. I don't want to get in trouble for even trying to oh. force the rivalry. As a Brit, I often get told that I'm trying to enforce things from back home into it. So I'm just excited. I think it's going to be the Longshore Charm and face-off at the moment, though. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's okay. not bad. Well, right. guys, welcome. And, uh, you know, it. like we said on the Crown Corner, I know Jason and I are so excited for Will and Jess because we've gotten to know them very well here in Atlanta. Will worked at 92.9 the game. And uh, Jess uh, has been just uh, such a, a huge part of the Atlanta soccer community for a long time. So, um, you guys have done a terrific job on the radio commentary for Charlotte. They're lucky to have you. Uh, you really kind of felt the energy from your description of the match this past Saturday. Jason and I were listening to you on the uh, the team van going back to the airport in Colorado. Were you guys pleased with the performance on Saturday against LA Galaxy or still wanting more? I would... Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. 
Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Mike, just because of the fact that I feel like so much was made about the environment that I think a lot of people came away from it thinking, okay, you know, this was a nice step. And the fact that LA Galaxy is a real step up in class from, from where Charlotte is. And I do feel like there are some people who are antsy about the fact that there is no goal yet to, to celebrate for this squad. But I do feel like the defense is something that's always going to be a strength of this side. The goal you surrendered was a masterclass goal by Ifreen Alvarez. And as a result, there was some chance creation, although I would probably argue that maybe the chance creation was a little bit better in the D.C. game because you did have a goal taken off the board with VAR and you had a couple that were just past Bill Hamid who stood on his head. I do feel like the the step back in chance creation is something that might be a little bit of a concern, but they're still trying to find the link up with Carol Swiderski back in the mix. Uh, Daniel Rios is another week into this uh, crew as well off the bench. And so one of the things that goalkeeper Christian Kalina said after the match is that offense, is the thing that takes the most time and you're integrating, you know, 25 new guys into a roster, it's not always going to be pretty right off the bat. But I also Jeff- think the most important thing, sorry, coming out of that match was that people left the game feeling encouraged. You know, one of the most important things when you have that many people in the stadium is that you make them want to come back. And despite there not being a goal, the performance, the excitement factor, the fact that they didn't get blown out by some really quality play from LA Galaxy, they they kind of succumb, they didn't succumb to that pressure was a really encouraging sign. And most people left that building excited to come back to another MLS game in Charlotte. Jess, I think one of the reasons that that they had that feeling is because this is a team that has been good defensively so far, but not in the way that we would stereotypically think. They're not parking the bus. They're not just sitting back and getting numbers behind the ball. They're defending really intelligently. And I think when Miguel Angel Ramirez gets things where he wants, they're going to defend by having the ball and keeping possession at times. Yeah, they look really confident when they have the ball in their possession. They want the ball at their feet at times. And I'm sure you've called matches too for Atlanta United at times. From where you're sat, you can't you can't understand some of the passes they're making. It looks very uh, risky, but they have the belief and confidence when they have the ball to make those passes. And they're seeing things that we necessarily don't see as broadcasters, but they understand it on the pitch. The other thing that they're doing really well defensively is being patient. Sometimes it can be very um, tempting to go win that ball constantly when you don't have possession, but they are standing up. They're not committing. They stood their ground really well. Jalen Lindsay, the, the player from Charlotte who, you know, dreamed of this moment, really came out strong in what could have been a very overwhelming moment for him. But his discipline and willingness to wait and make the right timing of a challenge is really important. And that's something they'll have to do against Atlanta United as well. Play smart defensively and, you know, be patient with making your challenges at the right time. Jess, you're a goalkeeper. So I want to ask you about Kalina because he makes me nervous. 
he's the guy who I think could potentially steal a result for Charlotte on Sunday. He really looks to be that good. And, and frankly, kind of kept you in the match against LA Galaxy on Saturday. As a goalkeeper yourself, how do you evaluate Kalina? I think Kalina's absolutely cracking as a goalkeeper. I was a little nervous beforehand because he doesn't have MLS experience. He was relatively unknown when it comes into this league. But what I've said, and I said on Crown Corner this morning, when we were searching for a goalkeeper with the system that Ramirez wants to play, footwork is the number one priority. It has to be because the distribution is going to be key. At times with a goalkeeper, that can come at the cost of something like shot stopping. That was my main worry. But from how he's played so far, his shot stopping, his reading of the game, his dominance in the area ha has been brilliant. And I'm really glad to see that he strikes me as someone that is that modern goalkeeper. It doesn't seem unnatural for him to have the ball at his feet. He never looks uncomfortable. And that's really important, whether it's your defenders, whether it's your midfielders. If you have faith in your goalkeeper that he's comfortable finding you with those passes, you're going to trust him to play you that ball and ask for it more. Well, I know the attack is still coming together um, with Swiderski, with Rios, but it feels like the danger man is always going to be Ortiz. Mm -hmm. How have you really you know, gotten to know him and, and try to describe his game a little bit for people who maybe haven't seen him? He's a true playmaker, Jason. Uh, wears the number 10 and, and really kind of carries that that mold uh, really through. He's great on set pieces. He uh, had to play as the false nine in the opening contest, and he showed his bravery with the header that he scored for the disallowed goal. And he's somebody who I feel like the, the guys really gravitate to. He has a couple of real close challenges. Uh, there was one that he had in the, in the game last weekend that um, Jordy Reyna basically missed hit. That would have been a goal. There's just nothing that I look at and say that he can't do with the ball. He's such a magician with it. And even seeing him in training, just the way he bends the ball, I've seen a couple of people go up to him, including a number one overall draft pick, Ben Bender, and just kind of get some tips from him on his set pieces and his corner kicks. He's someone who really can be a, a sorcerer when it comes to being a game changer with the ball at his feet. And, and I do feel like now that Swiderski is here, he can play that more number 10 type role right behind the attacking players. And as a result, that should allow for better chance creation than we saw in the first two contests. Well, I know a lot of our viewers here uh, who are probably more interested in Atlanta United than Charlotte uh, want a little report on Anton Walks. And I know he's been out for the last couple of weeks. Where is he health-wise right now, fitness-wise? And do you guys anticipate that Anton is someone who could end up wearing the captain's armband when he gets healthy? Anton should be back this week from everything that we're told. He's been dealing with a bit of a lower body injury. The way that it was described to me was it was not something that would have kept him out of, say, a playoff game or an important tilt. But with it being so early in the season and that being one of the deepest positions on the club, they didn't want to risk it. It's a real crowded center back position right now. And the fact that they're playing three at the back right now might allow him to get on the field a little bit sooner. I don't know if he's going to start this week because they really like what they've gotten out of the three they have back there. Christian Fuchs, Christian McCoon, and Guzman Carujo. I do feel like if there's anyone who could be the odd man out, it would be McCoon. And I feel like Walks can step in there and be a, a real seamless transition as far as wearing the captain's armband, they like what they see from Fuchs. People kind of gravitate toward him. He's a 35-year-old. I would almost say that he has the same role that Michael Parker has had on those first Atlanta teams where 
He's a veteran presence, guy who's been through the wars and kind of knows well, what to do in order to try and make things happen. I'll say honestly, I didn't think Fuchs was going to play this much early, and he's played the full 90 in two contests, and he has looked brilliant. And because of that, I feel like you can't keep him out of the lineup as long as he's healthy and fit. Jess, who's been the most surprising player for you? There were some guys who came in with expectation, and there's a few who have played a lot so far this season and had a, a good impact for Charlotte. Who who caught you by surprise? I think Brad Bronico. Honestly, coming in, I wasn't sure whether he was going to play. I thought he might be a bench player. There were other center midfielders that would have maybe expected to go ahead of him. you got Sergio Ruiz, Jordi Alcivar. Those are players that... You know, when you're making your boards as a broadcaster, I had them on my starting board. I had to move Brant Bronico in from the back. And ever since I've seen him play, he's been a player that I've really gravitated towards. I'm a big appreciator, just like you, Jason, of those holding defensive midfielders, those scrappy players. And he is he just offers that nitty gritty that maybe other players on the pitch don't have a I wouldn't say he's the nicest person off the pitch, but on the pitch, he's got a bit of a nice, nasty streak on him. And you need that sometimes. You need that player that's going to let the other midfielders on the opposition know that he's there. And that's going to be a player that Atlanta United need to, to be mindful of because he will close you down. And what he's really good at is if he loses the ball, he has that ultimate desire to get back and win it, which is what the crowd wants to see. He's the player that will put in a challenge and will get the whole fan base behind him. All right, so kind of closing the loop on our discussion, I want to kind of finish where we started. Uh, not necessarily with what to call this derby, but I, I think there are a lot of Atlanta supporters who aren't quite sure how to feel about Charlotte yet. Like, do we hate Charlotte? Do we <laughs> have a respectful rivalry? Is this going to be more like an Orlando deal? Um is it going to be something where there might even be a, a, a pro-Charlotte sentiment amongst Atlanta supporters because we want teams in the South to do well? How do Charlotte supporters view Atlanta? Well, I know you've spent a lot of time over the last year or two uh, really ingraining yourself in the supporter culture in, in Charlotte. So how are we down here perceived up there? Well, I, I can tell you right now from the owner's box, David Tepper, right when the bid was made in 2019, he called the city out and he said, screw that city. He was very, very adamant about saying that. And, and he kind of called Atlanta out in a bit. And some of those fans have taken to that. And a lot of the supporters have taken to that. It's a, it's a big deal for this group to have this game this early. And I feel like having the, the success, at least from the attendance standpoint off of what happened last week, I think is a real feather in the cap for a lot of supporters, though. On the flip side, there are a lot of Charlotte uh, supporters who were Atlanta United supporters before flip. this team actually flip started. Great, word. great choice of words, Will. On the flip side, there's a lot yeah. of people that are. Um, we had one of the supporters groups on our podcast talk about how so many of the people in Charlotte, the nearest MLS team for them was Atlanta United, yep. kind of like with Atlanta United fans. They won't always want to admit it, but there are a lot of Orlando City, you know, people that sympathize towards Orlando City a little bit because it was one of the closest sides. So mm, and I, I, got, I, I got a very good friend of mine who lives in Greenville who's still an Orlando City fan. And I'm kind of like, man, you got to start thinking about what's going on here. And so it, <laughs> it, it, there's still some of those stalwarts in town. It'll be interesting to see how many of them show up for the return engagement in April. But I, I do feel like there is a. Uh, certain enmity that will develop i think a lot of it has to do with these two games because they're both early and because of the fact that 
you're still kind of getting your both teams still trying to get their sea legs in this season. I do feel like it's a situation where if Charlotte can maintain a result or get a draw or do something early in one of these two matches against Atlanta, then maybe that budding rivalry will come. But I think it all really determines what happens on the pitch, guys. I think that's the best way that rivalries develop because you never really know when things are going to happen. You know, think about Atlanta and New York Red Bulls in the postseason. Who knew that was going to turn into such a barn burning uh, tilt between those two sides? It just it's supposed to happen, you know, whatever happens on the pitch, basically. Proximity will always create rivalries and some animosity. And and if you have multiple rivals, there's no problem with that. I can see Charlotte and D.C. turning into something interesting. Charlotte, Nashville, maybe down the road. Atlanta, Nashville started friendly. Now it's maybe not so friendly after a few games. I'm very glad that Atlanta gets Charlotte early on because I think Charlotte's going to improve throughout the year. And I want to end with this with you, Jess. What? is the area of Charlotte's team that you think you're going to see from game one to game 34 improve the most? I think it's the link-up play. Honestly, I think one of the biggest issues right now would be that the individual components are there, but at times they're just a matter of inches off the same wavelength. You can see that they're getting past one, past two correct, but that ball into the final third just isn't quite there. We've seen improvements as players are getting used to playing with each other but I think those gaps in the, the midfield to the offense are going to close up. And once they find the back of the net once, as Will said in our podcast earlier, the floodgates will open because once you see one goal go in, once you have that belief, then then it's, you know, you start to really believe when you have the ball that you're going to finish it. And Will, Will one more for Will, sorry. Um, you've had a chance to talk to Miguel Angel Ramirez a decent bit. Mm-hmm. For people who maybe don't know how lucky you guys are and having, I think, one of the top managers in the league in, in Charlotte to build with, just a little bit about him and his personality that, that you can share. He's an academic, first off, Jason. Yeah. He's a guy who got multiple degrees and somebody whose foundations in the game weren't as a player. He literally started coaching at the academy level because, you know, one of his friends was on the, was on the staff and said, hey, you know, I need some help when he was at his home club in Las Palmas. And he parlayed that into an academy director position. He went to Qatar, did some real study of the game there, and then went to Ecuador and flourished the Independiente del Valle, won the second biggest competition in South America, the Copa Sudamericana, with a group that honestly does not spend, or at least at that time did not spend the level of any of the other South American clubs out there. And if you look at the way they're playing now, they're playing the exact same style and game model that Miguel Angel Ramirez instituted a couple of years ago, and they're flourishing with it. And that's part of the reason why the folks at the sporting department wanted a manager like him, because they can put forth a system that, while very complicated, when harnessed, can really flourish with a side that really emphasizes tactical superiority and numerical superiority. As a coach, he's been fantastic, and he's about as demonstrative in a practice and training session as any coach I've ever seen. And I've covered, you know, all four major sports. I've covered soccer. I've covered hockey. I've covered football, basketball, baseball. No one is as involved in a practice or training session as Miguel Angel Ramirez. And I feel like that engagement, that outreach for the young players who develop on the squad can only work wonders. And that's why I feel like he's the right man for this job. Well, I got to tell you, Will and Jess, you're two really great friends, and that'll continue no matter what happens this Sunday and again on April 10th. But I will say this. 
As a play-by-play announcer, Will, I can empathize. You've now gone 180 minutes without a goal that counts. I hope that streak comes to an end for you, but not Sunday. <laughs> 90 more minutes, Mike. That's what you're Oh, waiting. boy. I'll tell you what. Well, I will say this. If Charlotte scores first, I'm going to be nervous uh, yeah. on Sunday. So, uh, Will, if you don't mind, if that first goal comes maybe in second half stoppage in a 4-0 game, we can let you have that one, all right? I like that. We'll see what happens, guys. We'll see what happens. All right. Hey, have a great call, and thank you for being with us. And uh, we'll do this again in a couple weeks. How about it? Anytime, guys. Let's do it. Thank you, guys. Thanks, y'all. Two great people. Yep, yep. They're Charlotte's lucky. I'm like I said though. I'm really glad we're getting them early because I think they're going to be better um, in the second half of the season in a big way. They've got a great coach. they're going to add pieces. I'm still a little flummoxed as to why their roster is so incomplete. There's a few misses. Um, they're not the only team, by the way. We've mm-hmm. talked about Toronto this week with their lack of fullbacks. They have one, and he had no MLS experience coming in. So, you know, you get what you get by you give up four goals to the Red Bulls in week one. Charlotte is building. They've got things they have to do to get better but they will get better with time because they have a great coach. So excited to see this. Um, I do think by the end of this 180 minutes over the next month, uh, it will feel like a rivalry and that's a good thing. How do you feel about it right now? Um, You know, the very first game that we called together was actually a preseason game up in Nashville Mm -hmm. in 2018. And it was, it was Nashville's debut match in USL, basically. Yeah, I don't um, think they were known as an MLS team coming in yet, or they had I, just been I, announced. I think as they one. had just been announced. Maybe I want to say. And, and the reason why I bring that up is because I, I'll never forget this. I, I think one of the things that we talked about in the build-up to that match was that Atlanta was going to look at Nashville kind of with proud eyes because. In many respects, Atlanta kind of opened the gates for Nashville, for Nashville and Charlotte 100%. to be viable soccer markets. Nashville, yeah. for sure. So for a while, I didn't really feel like the Nashville-Atlanta um, series was combative. And then all of a sudden, Nashville started beating Atlanta. Uh, and Nashville started making deeper playoff runs than Atlanta. And now I think there is maybe a slight edge there's an more edge. of an edge to it than there was uh in 2020 when nashville came into the league yeah. and I, I just wonder on sunday are we gonna feel that edge right away or is it gonna take time nashville's it's so different in my mind because they didn't come into the league the same way that charlotte did um you know i'm, I'm glad that that will pointed it out david tepper coming out press conference day introduction day and saying screw that city yeah i get the game that's being played i understand it i i I love pro wrestling that felt like a very pro wrestling kind of a move to get a reaction um frankly it's incredibly disrespectful and it's unnecessary you're going to get a rivalry because of proximity and because of you know repetition of playing them that's going to happen. You've got fans who are stuck in the middle, who are live in Charlotte, who've been Atlanta fans. Now they have a team in their backyard. Do what feels right to you. If that's your team, that's your team. If you want to stick with the team you had before, that's fine too. Whatever. Fan, you can't tell somebody how to be a fan. But when you come into the league, I think 
in that manner off the jump, it's going to rankle people. And, and I think that was by, again, by design. I don't, he, David Tepper's a smart man. Yeah. He knows exactly what he's doing. Yeah. He's trying to get a reaction, but he's also, yeah, he's fine with ruffling feathers. I don't think that sat well with some people and I don't think it should have. So Nashville didn't come in with that approach. I think Nashville having Atlanta up for a preseason game changed that vibe too. The home opener with Atlanta in 2020 with so many Atlanta fans there that had a more you know celebration kind of vibe for a new mm-hmm. team, but also a new season for Atlanta. That was a party. This won't feel like a party. I don't think. Um, and I don't think Charlotte wants it to feel like a party. And I don't think the trip up there is going to feel like a party. I hope you don't get some of the um, silly, tough guy posturing that we saw with Orlando. And I'm a little sensitive to that kind of posturing right now. After that, the horrible by the scene way, we saw in Mexico that I think. Exact, oh, well. But, but this is why. Because if, if you allow the posturing to get started, then it can turn worse. Now, there's a whole lot of other situations with the with the Carretero and the Barbravas in, in Mexico that are not related to things here. But that is my hope. I, I have no problem with trash talk. I have no problem with trying to ruffle feathers day one. All that's good. That's what it is. It's nothing more than that. I don't want to see pictures of fans with busted faces. And we saw that game one with Orlando. I don't want to see any of that any which way this weekend or in the trip in Charlotte. You cannot like the team. You cannot like the city. All of that is fine. Let's be very careful about the posturing. I don't want to see any or hear about any of that kind of nonsense. No, I, I totally agree. Uh, I, I think the negativity in the Atlanta Orlando fan interactions started not with Atlanta, uh, which uh, gives me, which well, gives me, Kind of. Um, there's there's a big backstory to it, but it started with Atlanta fans directly, and there were a lot of things early on in that that were very pointed and were allowed and possibly encouraged. Um, mm. It was not not Atlanta fans starting it, but it doesn't really matter because it it's kept going. Yeah, and it's it's that stuff. Luckily, has died down. But you can't in modern times where we're seeing fights between players and college basketball fans and all this kind of stuff. I'm all for rivalry. I love rivalry. I talk about it all the time. When a game has a little more emotion to it, it's, it's a better match. It's a better game, but there is a line that has to be drawn very, very deeply about trash talk, animosity on the field, all good. Right. That's where it stays. No, and that's fair because, quite frankly, I mean, tying it back to what happened on Saturday, um, I don't think anything like that could happen in Mexico in 2022. I, I, I never in a million years would have imagined that we would have scenes like that in North America in 2022. And, it, and by the way, it goes completely counter to my personal experiences with Mexican soccer, which granted are limited, but still, I mean, We've, we've been to more than a few matches in Mexico, and that's been absolutely 1,000% counter to anything I've observed. I mean, I think of the the America and Atlanta United supporters who were carrying a woman in a wheelchair up the stairs at the Azteca together. Uh, it, it, my experience has been more consistent with that than what happened on Saturday. But to your point, um, 
you know, it almost it, my reaction to it on Saturday was, wow, I guess we can never really say never anymore. Uh, and you're right. What happened last night in the the Bryant Wagner college basketball games? Another example of I never in a million years would have thought that would happen in an American sports venue in the 21st century. So I, I think your words are very, very important here um, because I don't feel like in a in a Atlanta Charlotte world it could ever get there but you can't allow the seeds of that to be planted even to a very very tiny degree yeah you can't allow it to get to that point not liking the teams all great not liking the cities all great that's fine but there doesn't have to be anything more than that that's that's where you know with what we've seen in the game and look it's not just Mexico it's not just college basketball last night we've seen things thrown at players in France all season long. We've seen issues in Spain. We've seen issues in England. We saw a 19-year-old run out into the field and punch an opposition player in England. Um, it, it's got to be stamped down. It's this dance between emotion and games being impactful and everything that we feel about the sport that we love and not being an idiot. And, and that is a dance that sport has to do better right now because right. it's – it's crossed too much into the idiot category lately. Yeah. Uh, I, I want to kind of end on this because on the Twitch pitch, there's been a little bit of a tactical discussion about yeah. the match. And yeah. We got a lot sorry of great comments on the Twitch pitch. Yeah. And we'll, we'll, we'll come back to them when we can. Maybe We can rapid that. fire a few. Yeah. Well, I, I, I want to kind of condense okay. some of these here uh, because Emilio and a couple others are talking about, okay, what happens if Charlotte tries to come in and just bunker and confuse Atlanta United? They won't. But okay, but Emilio clarifies by saying, okay, would they put nine behind the ball no. and just not want possession? No, they always want possession. You, and I think this is an important element here, and that's why I, I wanted to, to ask Jess about that because you you have to make a decision when you're a coach, and we're talking about coaches. You, you got to start way up here. Do you build everything with the ball, or do you build without the ball? Miguel Angel Ramirez is one who builds with the ball. Everything is about having the ball. He's never going to be happy not having the ball. So they're not going to bunker. Are they going to try to slow the pace down at times? Absolutely. Their buildup at times has been too slow. But they, when they get the ball, they're going to want to keep the ball. They're not going to want to play at as fast of a pace as Atlanta will. That doesn't mean they bunker and say they don't want the ball. They're not just going to bomb it long. They're not built that way. Will they get numbers behind the ball? Absolutely, because they kind of have to right now. It's a 3-4-3 three, three on paper that I think will turn into a 5-4-1 because the, mm -hmm. the wingbacks will get pushed, the wingers will get pushed, and it'll be a 5-4-1 with Swiderski up high. And Atlanta will pin them in at times. But this is, this is where I think it's an important distinction. If Charlotte spends a lot of time with nine players fairly deep, I think it's because Atlanta puts them there as opposed to Charlotte wanting to be there. Some teams want to be in that situation. Colorado in 2019 is the prime example. Right. I don't think Charlotte's that team. They're going to try to play. I just don't think they're going to be able to play a whole lot. I don't think they're going to have the ball. And how they handle that will go a long way in determining how they do. All right. Let, let's end on this. This is not a Twitch pitch question. This is a me question. <laughs> okay. Trying to think back, Jason, to all the matches we've called. Uh -huh. Atlanta United against expansion teams. Mm -hmm. Okay, Minnesota was what six one. 
Yeah. And then, then later in the year, Minnesota came back and won in Atlanta, correct? Yeah. If I remember the correctly. The only time Atlanta scored two goals or more at home and lost. Okay, right. Yes. Um, 2018. I think they beat LAFC 5-0, if I remember correctly. Yeah, that's true. Uh, 2020, you beat Nashville 2-1. And then later in the year, Nashville came back and beat you. That was much later in the year, and a lot of stuff happened. Uh, but that was a that was a tough kind of cagey tactical. Well, you beat Nashville, Nashville twice that year too. You because remember you the first beat, game after right. MLS is back. That Glassy's first match, about. you beat them two nil. Yeah. Miami, we know those were really tough matches. Yeah. Um, how do you feel about this one? Is it going to be more on the six one five nil side, or is it going to be more on the struggle side? You, you, skipped, Miami. you skipped one from twenty nineteen. Help me out, Cincinnati. Well, the first one was a draw, and uh-huh. the second one was a, win a two-nil there. win. Yeah. Joseph had the goal of the year, but that draw is what would concern me a little bit here. Um, I again, I think it's going to be played out very differently because I don't think Charlotte will willingly concede as much of the ball and and field position and all of that. Um, it, it looked to me these games are the classic situation of the the meme with the little submissive dog and the big, tough, strong dog. <laughs> it, it's, it's what it is. And and when you have a team like this, they come in as the, the little submissive dog and you have to keep them in that role. If it stays scoreless for a long time, they grow in stature and they grow in confidence and they will create more opportunities out of it. And you can't let that happen. You've got to get a goal in the first half, in my opinion, you get into the second half scoreless, I worry about the anxiety in the crowd, which feeds into the players. It does. You feel that stuff. We feel it in the in the booth. Players feel it. You start to press. You get a goal in the first 30 minutes, I have zero concerns. You get a goal in the first half, I have very little concerns. You don't get a goal past the 60-minute mark, I'm going to have some concerns about Charlotte getting out of there with a draw. And if they get out of there with a draw, they're dancing in the streets. I agree. I think they'd be very, very happy with that. I think you get what you need. I think two nil. If I'm if I'm taking a score line to the bank, uh, the two nil is where I where I feel. All right. Well, uh, here we go. Right. Um, Sunday, four o'clock on ninety two nine. The game. Uh, we will have the five stripes countdown. It's also going to be on Sirius XM channel one fifty seven. Kickoff will be four fifty five Sunday. At 2 o'clock Sunday, Dukes and Bell will have a two-hour pregame show for Mercedes-Benz Stadium as well. So we'll have wall-to-wall coverage Sunday. It's a big day. It's a really, really big match. It's important. It's historic. And uh, hopefully it will be positive. Hopefully Atlanta United will continue to protect the fortress at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. And we're with you next week, uh, 2 p.m. next Wednesday, for another edition of Stoppage Time. We'll look back at the Charlotte match and look ahead to Atlanta United closing out the month of March with a home match against Montreal. It's been a lot of fun. I want to thank Will and Jess for being with us today. And Jason, we'll see you next week. Yeah, you see a Charlotte fan in the stadium or in your tailgates, hanging around anywhere around the stadium. Buy them a beer, give them a beer, tell them their team's going to lose, and, <laughs> and welcome them to Atlanta. And that's what how it should be. I'm looking forward to this. I think this is going to be the start of something really, really special between these two teams. I, I can't wait to see it on the on the pitch on Sunday. Thanks for hanging out with us. We'll see you next week. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? 
Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.